Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is facing a growing chorus of calls to do something about election interference from China, including from senior liberal voices. And contrary to the claims of Justin Trudeau, yet another public opinion survey is showing that people in Canada think things are broken. And a new conservative political party is forming in Saskatchewan, determined to challenge the current governing party. Hello Canada, it's Monday, February 27th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appeared to think he could spin his way out of leaked CSIS documents that revealed details of Chinese Communist Party interference including the revelation that Liberal MP Han Dong was picked by the Beijing regime as a preferred candidate and was the willing recipient of their support, although these are reports which Dong denies. However, Trudeau is now facing backlash from all across the political spectrum for being too dismissive of these reports. His own former top advisor, Gerald Butts, is now calling for an inquiry, telling Global News that, quote, some form of nonpartisan deep look has to happen here. But said the options include a public inquiry, a royal commission, or a commission of inquiry. We have many tools at our disposal, But said. Now, Trudeau's office initially attempted to dismiss the leaked CSIS documents as full of, quote, inaccuracies, but it did little to temper people's frustrations with that news. Here's what David Mulroney, Canada's former ambassador to China, had to say on social media the other day. We should step back and think about People's Republic of China interference as an example of China's extraterritorial reach its ambition to extend its authority to areas that are currently the responsibility of political parties or various levels of government in Canada. Mulroney added, we should be very worried about the PM's muted response to these threats to our sovereignty, as if he's willing to cede some governing space to Beijing. You know, Andrew, I feel like Trudeau thinks and is acting like this is almost just a sort of partisan gaffe, a 24-hour news cycle thing, like uh, when he says something embarrassing and he just has to spin it back on the conservatives to make it about them being bad guys or something, or he just has to wait it out. But I think this is really, to David Mulroney's point, a totally different ballgame here. Oh, it was. And, and I mean, last week when Justin Trudeau made that comment, which we reported on at True North, that, you know, it was the conservatives who were really undermining democracy by talking about election interference. I, I, there really is a, an incredibly large and incredibly important blind spot here. And I, I think David Mulroney, who's not a partisan hack by any stretch, is being very measured here. He's speaking by experience. And when he talks about this, he, he's talking about an issue that all parties should want to get to the bottom of. And uh, what we've seen is, is that the reporting on this was not just a one-and-done story. This has been a, a drip, 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 they call it. It's been a daily story after story after story, and it's not all that credible for him to just say, ah, yeah, they're inaccurate, they, you know, it's not really real. And some of the drip, drip stories are drips that peter out, or you go, yeah, okay, I'm getting boring of this, but this is one that seems to ratchet up the drama. And what we seem to have here is CSIS senior figures who are saying, We've been warning the federal liberal government to get serious about this for a while. Now we see they're kind of in denial about the initial leaks. Okay, we're going to actually do big risks here because they can actually be charged for this, these sources. They've not been named by Global News, but they are technically in violation of some laws here divulging this information. They're saying this is how serious this is. 
And this is why we're willing to name at least one of those names, Handong. Yeah, and I, I think whistleblower protections are, are a very important aspect of this discussion. And, and if people start to see the government go into crackdown mode, which the language has kind of veered towards, it's going to, I would say, blow back even more on the government. No, certainly. I mean, Andrew, what do you think will happen next? There are 10 other names of uh, members of parliament, or at least candidates for MPs, seeming to be in the broader GTA area who got support from China's Toronto consulate. Uh, most of them are liberals, although apparently two of them are conservatives. I would like to know all these names, and I believe every member of the Canadian public has a right to know these names now. Yeah, I would agree. And and if there's nothing to hide, then they shouldn't be worried about it. And I get why individual MPs that are implicated in this would not want their names to be thrown out there. But I also think at this point, there is enough of a cloud over this that they should want to come out and front and center say, you know what, I'm one of these people. Uh, it's a big nothing burger. And here's why. And the fact that they're not doing that, I actually think speaks volumes here. Yeah, I saw Margaret McQuaig Johnston, who was a senior bureaucrat and now a noted expert on the China file, she posted that Han Dong at the House of Commons had been present for a number of votes on one day, so he's, he was physically there able to vote on all of them, but when it came to a couple of motions on uh, bringing Uyghurs to Canada who were being mistreated in China, he conveniently left uh, the House of Commons to do that, suggesting that he's not just this sort of unwilling passive recipient of Beijing's interference, but that he's, he's in communication with them. That's the severity of the allegations here. Yeah, and the question you have to ask in situations like that is, is he under the influence of China, or does he have his own priorities that align with China's? Either way, it's a big problem for Canadians, and I think there needs to be some accountability there. A second survey this month has found that the majority of Canadians think things are broken. This is a contentious point between Pierre Polyev and Justin Trudeau. The Abacus data survey released Thursday has found that 65% of Canadians agree it feels like many things in the country are broken and in a number of areas across sectors. Uh, respondents said the healthcare system was doing worse than a few years ago, about 66% of them. Uh, just over half said air travel is broken. Government services, 50% of those said it was broken. And the education system and customer service as well. Uh, and one of the things that the public sector research director for Abacus, Richard Jenkins, said is that it's hard not to worry that there is a deep-seated potential for Canadians to get caught up in the Canada is broken narrative, unquote. Now, I think he's being a little bit generous to uh, Trudeau there because what he's actually saying is that there's a Canada is broken narrative rather than a simple reality that Canada is broken. And, you know, I think any party should be able to acknowledge the reality that things aren't working well for Canadians and their message should be, here's how we fix it together. Instead, we have Justin Trudeau saying, no, it's offensive to say that Canada is broken. No, I, and I think Trudeau's on the wrong side here because Pierre Polyev has not created this narrative out of thin air and said, this is the Pierre narrative. And if you agree with it, uh, come over to my side. He's just seizing on what everybody else is thinking. And he's just a little bit ahead of the curve in his timing. But the center is reverting to Polyev's positions. And for Trudeau to deny this and to say, you're not a patriot for, for saying Canada's broken, what he's also saying is don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe that there's a problem with the healthcare system. Don't believe that the airports or the passport lineups were backlogged when, of course, we all know they were. So almost again, like we're talking about with the China interference issue, I mean, there are ways that Trudeau can respond 
uh, own this file, own the direction this conversation is headed, but he seems to be a bit of a denialist. Yes, and look, the last few years was tremendously challenging on pretty much every institution around the world. So the idea of recognizing that things are broken is one of these issues that I don't believe is or should be partisan. Yet uh, the liberals' denial on this, as you say, and, and the pearl clutching about it, I really don't think is serving their interests well. Because, you know, I've talked to people and I've experienced in my own life that all of these things, sometimes little things, sometimes big things, that you're accustomed to functioning in a certain way just aren't. And I would love to see leaders that are not uh, gaslighting the public into saying that these uh, breakdowns have not happened and are not happening. Saskatchewan will see a new political party launching later this week. The Saskatchewan United Party, or Sask United as they'll be calling it for short, is a new centre-right party in the province seeking to challenge the dominance of the governing Saskatchewan party, which is viewed as an alliance between Saskatchewan liberals and conservatives against the NDP. Now on Sask United's website, the party claims to stand for the family unit, lower taxes, balancing the budget, school curriculums free from ideology, and other traditionally conservative priorities. Furthermore, on Sask United's Twitter page, they have challenged digital ID, criticized the government for failing to address criminal violence, and advocated for reduction in the role of governing. The party is going to be led by former Saskatchewan party MLA Nadine Wilson, who resigned from the governing party after a dispute regarding her vaccination status. Saskatchewan's politics have been dominated by the Saskatchewan party since the 2007 election when Premier Brad Wall formed the Sask party's first majority government. And Andrew, this is all very interesting because when you mention Brad Wall, when you mention Scott Moe, I mean, they are generally considered among uh, the center-right movement to be true blue conservatives. There was always hope that perhaps Brad Wall would run for the federal conservative leadership and, and be a, a, a leader who can unite all of Canada, become a majority conservative prime minister. It seemed he was never interested in running for that. But I, I, one does not think traditionally that this is a movement that needs disruption because conservatives are unhappy with it. So what's happening here? Well, and I, I should say that there is mixed precedent on these conservative conservative offshoot parties. Uh, in Ontario in the last election, we saw the New Blue Party and the Ontario Party really try to uh, come after Doug Ford from the right, and both of them had barely a blip electorally. But in Alberta, we've seen a very different story, where the Wild Rose uh, ultimately comes a formidable force and now has remade conservative politics in that province, as evidenced by Premier Danielle Smith. So in Saskatchewan, it's a little bit of a different story, because the governing party is a coalition of the old Liberal Party of Saskatchewan and the old PC Party of Saskatchewan. So it's kind of like the BC Liberals and you have some of those capital L Liberal influences there. Uh, and while Scott Moe and Brad Wall have generally been regarded as Conservatives, there is a, a tension there in a province that's typically been a, a two-party system between the NDP and now the Saskatchewan Party. So I, I think after COVID, there is room on the right but at the same time, I also think if you take COVID out of the equation, Scott Moe is pretty well liked as a conservative. He's going tough on Ottawa. He's a big booster of the oil and gas sector. Uh, he's also been very unequivocal about asserting sovereignty and, and kind of supporting Danielle Smith and opposing the federal government gun grab. So I, I think that if COVID hadn't happened at all, and we hadn't seen Saskatchewan do the vaccine passports and the lockdowns. I think a party like this is a very tough sell, but now I'm not as sure. 
Yeah, so that brings to my next question. Nadine Wilson resigning over vaccination status issues. I was not a supporter of people losing their jobs or being banned from entering legislatures uh, because of their absence of vaccination for COVID. At the same time, I do think, is this going to be a single issue grievance party? Because they're not going to be able to forge uh, much consensus to really bring too many people together when for a lot of people those issues uh, while they still may frustrate them to remember that they happened are in the rearview mirror for sure and and the one thing I'll say is that even if they do not become a, a force electorally parties like these can be very influential in, in really serving as the conscience of the conservative movement and, and pulling the party they're protesting a bit to the right so we'll see if that happens moving forward that's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.